And welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Kuehl Show. I am your host today, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl. And yes, folks, as you can tell, it's not the office, it's not the studio. I am in Texas right now getting set for the under-18 IIHF World Hockey Championships. Really excited to be a part of it with Hockey TV. But you know what? As much as I have done my own personal studying for the event and whatnot, I needed some help today. We'll get to that here in just a second because we have to make sure, because once again, we are live here on 12 Ounce Sports on this special Sunday edition of TKS. 12 Ounce Sports down there in the corner, whether you're watching on Zingo TV, Channel 761, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. You're watching us here on 12 Ounce Sports. If you can't watch the full thing today, that's okay. Just make sure you check out the replay on the YouTube channel tomorrow, the the Kula Show YouTube channel, or your favorite podcatcher as well. Also, we must thank our sponsors today, including MyBookie.ag. MyBookie, go on there. Lots of sports going on. Basketball playoffs are in sight. We got, I mean, they can bet on NASCAR. You can bet on hockey. You can bet on baseball. That's in full swing. The Jays are playing well, which terrifies me for the second half of the season, but I digress. You can go on there, MyBookie.ag. Sign up using the promo code 12OUNCESPORTSWIN and get paid on MyBookie.ag. And, of course, as always, Second String Leather Company up there in the corner, Collection 8. It's out there now. Get out there. It's got awesome stuff from Ray Razor Ray Emery's gear back when he was in Ottawa. Great stuff. Great products there from Second String Leather Company. Hashtag crafted from the crease. As I mentioned on today's show, guys, we're going to be talking a little bit about the upcoming under-18 IHF World Championships. Now, we haven't really done it before on this show in the past, and I get it. It's a, an event that only the upper 1% of hockey fans watch. Us, of course. And then again, if you're watching this program or listening, you are part of that 1%. So, with that, let's bring in our guest today. He's been here now a couple of times beforehand, and this is making his third appearance here on TKS. He's one of the writers for the Hockey News one of the big guys covering the draft for that program, for that lovely news outlet that's been around for, gosh, ever? A long time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Stephen Ellis. Stephen, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, man, it is. It's, it's interesting. I went from this morning, 30 degrees and a little breezy, wearing sweater and sweatpants, and I was at the Lynx today playing golf and... I was wearing t-shirt and shorts, polo, and it's about 77 degrees and sunny. So, yeah, a bit of a 180 here. <laughs> yeah, we've uh, we, we've had snow in the last few days. It's been 23 degrees Celsius. It's been kind of just cold, warm, cold, warm, cold, warm. I hate it because, uh, I, like a lot of people, when, when the weather changes drastically, I get huge headaches. So uh, having snow one day and shorts the next day, not my favorite. See, I... I always joke about it. I laugh about it because I have to walk to work myself to the radio station I work at. And the the crazy thing is the fact that I have to, you know, it'll be one day I'll walk in t-shirt, shorts, flip-flops, the whole nine yards. And then all of a sudden the next day I'm coming in bundled up looking like I'm getting ready for Christmas. I mean, that's what it's right now, both in Michigan and in Ontario as well. Yeah. No, no thanks. Not a fan. Not, not, not a fan of this. I live by the water too. So oh. you get the extra wind and get the extra lake there and uh, downtown Toronto. So it's a, the, the good thing I guess in that case is we are completely locked down. So it's not yeah. like I have anywhere to go. That, that is the craziest thing too. Cause I've, a lot of people have gotten on edge about, and of course a lot of my folks up in Ontario, friends of mine that are, they're golfers as well up there. And they decided to shut down golfing up there, which to me was one of the few things we got to do here in Michigan during the pandemic, the, the first roundabout. So I'm like, well, you're taking like half of everyone's like stuff away. If you take away golf, 
yeah, that's like, that's the thing. I, I'm not a golfer myself, so I, it, it never really affected me, but it's just like the hardest thing is I live a two minute walk away from Scotiabank Arena where the Toronto Maple Leafs play, and I haven't been there since March 10th, 2020. And it's just like it, you, you see the Leaf players walk into the rink. It's like, I want to go. I want to go. And we're all yeah. kind of just stuck at home the way it is. It's almost like the those fans that were in Edmonton during the World of Juniors just watching the guys walk across the yeah. walk and just cheering them on every single time. You're doing great, yeah, Austin. You'll hit fifty. No, and they have to show it at the every single broadcast, every single time, and it's just like, yeah, yeah, we know they're there, but they, you know what? They're passionate. I don't even know if they got to see much of the games because they were outside when they're they showing those shots. But that was pretty cool. Well, I because does Rogers place there? Do they have like what they have at the at Maple Leaf Square, like a big board for people can watch, or they probably would have told people to get out of there if they even tried. I don't recall. Uh, yeah, the yeah, they wouldn't obviously want a lot of people being out there, but also uh, December, January in Edmonton. Not sure that's a place I want to be anyway. So I think a lot of people would have just gone home as it is. Oh, I'm sure those Alberta. Oh, they're probably hearing you say that. Like, we're hardy people up here in Alberta. We're used to the cold. The cold's nothing. I, I, I lived out in Alberta for a little bit, and I could say I was not a fan of the cold, but I'm also hate the cold altogether. So there's that. Well, wasn't it at some points like negative 30 out there or something, something ridiculous like that? Yeah, we, I remember the first day I saw snow there and it was like October like 4th in 2018. And it's like, okay, this is a little ridiculous. It's not, this is not what I'm used to. And I, I got out of there before like the real, I got to experience my first real winter. So I guess I kind of lucked out there. But again, there's probably some Albertans who say you're a wimp and sure, I'll say that. That's what's still funny to look back at the first Heritage Classic back in 03 at Commonwealth. It was in late November after American Thanksgiving. And it was called, and literally the players, and it's still funny because Jeff Merrick likes to mention it quite often over there at Sportsnet. He says, you know, it was the players came together, ref said and everything, and said, all right, this is going to be a no hitter. Like nobody wanted to hit each other because they didn't want to have to get up off the ice when it was that cold. Because I think temperatures were part near you know, wind chill, negative 40, that game. Everyone thought Jose Tater was wearing a toque for style. No, he was trying to stay warm. Yeah, well, actually, I have a, he, I had a toque that similar to the one he wore that he actually signed in uh, my family's house. But I, I've been to two outdoor games, two of the coldest experiences I've ever been a part of. No, thank you. I do not want to go back. The the one, the the worst one was the Hamilton Bulldogs versus Toronto Marley's AHL outdoor game. But it was cool because I can't remember where the players were. And I'm pretty sure it was during a commercial break, but there were two players that fought off the ice because they got into a fight on the ice. But then there was the one exit to the change room, which like all outdoor games, it's a long, it's a long walk. Corey Perry knows all about that a couple of years yep. ago. Oh, yeah. And these two guys had to walk in the same little piece of like, I don't know, mats or whatever you would say, and both of the walk together and they got to a fight off the ice. And <laughs> it was, uh, it was incredible, but it was so cold. And I feel bad for the Bulldogs players after because they got like obliterated like 7-2 and it was a home game. And fans after the game, there was like a little catwalk over where the players, this is where the um, Hamilton Tiger Cats play. Yep. And it's, there, there were some people right over the catwalk where the players were coming pelting them with snowballs. <laughs> it's like, I felt so bad for them because they played terrible. One of their players got beat up off the ice and then they had snowballs thrown at them. And oh, just a brutal, brutal day. Well, Tim Hortons Field, and people know this, fans of the CFL, the three probably proudest fan bases are probably, well, the Rough oh, I think would say there's three fans in the CFL, which I honestly would believe. But oh, Well, I'll be honest with you. The folks that have come out when the XFL signed on with them, there's a lot of them. No, there's there's Rider Nation, the Saski Rough Riders, mm-hmm. 
the I'd I'd go Blue Bombers over Calgary, even though people will probably get mad at me for that. But also Hamilton Tiger Cats, like as good as the Argos are, the Tiger Cat fan base, is, from what I've always heard, is much bigger. Like they'll go, uh, they'll drive up the four hundred three to go invade BMO Field whenever they play the Argos because they need to show that they're. I mean, it's a it's fun CFL football. Some people don't like it. I like it. I think it's fun. It's different. Maybe that's why I like it. I'm not a football fan altogether, so I'm indifferent, but it's like I remember being downtown Toronto uh, around the time when the Argonauts won their last great cup, and it's like it was actually hard to find a lot of people who even knew that happened. But it's like like I'm an IndyCar fan, and it's you could be downtown during the, Indy, the IndyCar race in the streets of Toronto and not have any clue what's happening. It's just yeah. like just that's just kind of the weird sports city we are. It's it's crazy because you know we have events like when the Raptors won the championship. I was at the parade, the parade, not the rally. I, I, know I skipped it. I skipped it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it, it's an experience that I'm, my wife says she'll never do it again. But she's glad if my wife says she's glad she did it and that we did it together, then it's a good thing. It's a good thing we went. Um, but I've done that. I've actually driven on when you know when the Bears are driven the, the track on for the for the Honda Indy track in Toronto. I've actually driven on it with the walls up. And yeah, I got to do that last year. It was a lot of fun. It's so they didn't, they didn't. I didn't get to go on the front stretch across the finish line, but like the way the the way the it was going down Lakeshore Drive there, I got to drive on it. I thought that was pretty neat. But my my brother sitting in the car next to me, and he's like, "You're not going to actually floor it, are you?" And I'm like, "No." Maybe <laughs> get enough room, but it's downtown trial traffic. Can never get enough speed. That's the thing. There was a uh, at Jucasa Motor Speedway, another short track out in Ontario. We uh, before they brought that, or they they fin- finalized the track and it built it the way it is now for the NASCAR Pinty Series. I took my dad's pickup truck around. We were filming a video there for uh, for Can Race, and um, we're like, they're like, okay, go as fast as you want, just don't crash, and. I'm going fast. I'm picking up. I used to go kart race myself, so like I, I understand how to race. And I, I hit like a bump that hadn't been like paved over yet, and I spun the whole thing around and looped it. Uh, I never told my dad that, so hopefully Ugh. he's not watching. But uh, it's uh, I was pretty close to hitting that wall. <laughs> there, see, it's funny. the The track I used to work at over here in uh, over here in West Michigan. I'm in Texas, at my home in West Michigan. In order to dry the track, you got to get a bunch of cars on the track to dry it. We don't have jet dryers because, unfortunately, small town tracks don't have that. So when you have like 30, and there was a big race one night, and everyone at this point, all the races were done, but everyone in the pits that's not racing is half in the bag. Everyone gets in their pickup trucks, and it was more exciting. What was going on with all these cars and trucks and random vehicles on the track was more exciting than the actual race that happened. And unfortunately, I was riding shotgun in one of them, and doing live reporting while I was screaming at the top of my lungs that I thought we were going to hit somebody. Yeah, last time, last time I was at Jucast, actually I did that same thing. It was pouring rain. It's just like, I've only been to that, ra- that track three times and it rained every single time. Um, and we the last time, yeah, it was like maybe two and a half hours people were just on the track driving. And I, I went out like for a little bit and had some fun with that. There was another guy I knew who was with one of the teams and we kind of unofficially raced because obviously there's a lot of cars going different speeds. You got to be careful. We were trying to see who could do the most laps in a short period of time. And uh, I didn't win, but again, I was driving a big pickup truck compared to, you know, a smaller car. Well, you know, those pickup trucks, they got the lifts and everything, and they got the heavy-duty diesel engines, and you can hear them coming from about a mile and a half behind you. <laughs> Isn't that how it works? 
Yep, basically, essentially, yeah. So I, uh, that was fun. But I, it's been a while since I've been to a racetrack. I went to the Daytona 500 last year, and that was a dream come true. And then I got to go to some like dirt race earlier later in the summer. But otherwise, it's been way too long. Not you know, like going from like 10 to 12 races a year between Pinty sports cars and stuff like that to not going to anything kind of sucks. Especially when we've now got the word that the Pinty series is already delayed for this season. Right. That's a tough one. Right, last, before we get to hockey, last auto question here. Short tracks. Are you a pavement or are you a dirt fan? What do you prefer? Oh, uh, I would say uh, a pavement guy. I've started to kind of learn a bit about dirt. I actually got into a huge, like, argument with, uh, I can't remember what you call it, Dirt Vision, I believe, on Twitter, about, like, the, the pricing of, of streams. It's just dirt racing can be a sport that's really hard to get into because it's a barrier of entry. Even watch can be a challenge. Right. But, I got. I, I think I'll like. I say short track Oshawa racing. I'm more of a sports car guy. I love the the road courses. Like getting to the Rolex Twenty Four, I will. That be the greatest event I've ever been to. But um, yeah, I, I'd say probably the asphalt, just because I like bumping and running a bit more than uh, than a lot of the times when we see a dirt tracks. But I. I don't mind going to dirt tracks. Enjoy it. Started to learn a bit more in the last couple of years. Kyle Larson, obviously, I follow him, so he's uh, a really good dirt guy. So it's kind of fun to watch. Oh, and Tony Stewart, my all-time favorite driver, is obviously a huge dirt guy. So I can't say I hate it. It's just I like bumping and running a bit more. Yeah. Now, of course, Tony Stewart's starting his own racing thing. Now it looks like so he's staying active in the realm. Let's jump to the point of the actual interview here, and actual the point of this hockey show. As we go into our <laughs> racing tangent, Stephen and I here, Stephen Ellis of the Hockey right. News joining us. Tony here. Stewart, Tony Stewart right here. So, wow, what is that? His Bush car? Yeah, he ran a one-off, and then this is the one he did his uh, 24 hours Daytona uh, when his axle broke with 19 minutes ago uh-huh. when he had a multi-lap uh, lead, and you can actually see a couple more Tony diecasts right there behind me. So, man, I have a few old ones. I have a gosh who i have um i forget the guy that drove the nhl craftsman truck back in the 90s i have that truck oh i don't remember that actually oh look it up look up nhl and nhl nascar truck it it's a driver no one's ever heard of i never heard of him but it's it's a cool looking thing it's back when they had their coolest game on ice mantra which is should tell you how old that is quite old yeah um but then i have a couple other cool ones of course dale earnhardt cars up the wazoo because the man that's that's always been my favorite driver but obviously why we have you here steven world championships across the board going on right now we're getting ready for the men's worlds over there in riga latvia right now i'm down here like i said in texas plano and frisco for hosting the u18s but let's get started on the big news that happened last week the women's world championships up there were supposed to be in nova scotia halifax and truro get canceled now, the thing is, the first reaction is everyone, and I have a lot of folks that are, cover both the men's and women's game, and everyone should be mad that this is not happening in a couple weeks. But I think the first reaction, Stephen, you were on the call, of course. This was, I think, a misconstrued, at least at first, a misconstrued news break because everyone was pointing at this was the IHF calling the women's tournament. Why are you calling the women's but not the men's? This was something from the local government of Nova Scotia, right? 
Yeah, exactly. So that's the thing that's a misconception. What misconception is it, it's while the WHF is the turn the the league that's sanctioning it, it's the host's job to organize the tournament. It's not like in this case, this this tournament was awarded to Hockey Canada. So it's not like they could have just simply moved the tournament three weeks from now or four weeks from now to Texas because that's a USA hockey tournament all of a sudden. Yep. And so that, that becomes a challenge. And uh, I know a lot of people saying, like, well, why are the men's tournaments getting canceled? Especially after the women's tournament got canceled uh, in the U18s. Now, for that one, it was no one was willing to put the cost to make that tournament work because there are a lot of costs um, to try to make up for it, whether it be a lack of fans, uh, a lack of being able to do different activations. And the usually the the host city is helping to pay for the travel for the team. So there's a lot of that. And, and it's expensive to put on a tournament. So when you're getting no return, which in international tournaments you know you don't always get sell low crowds especially on the women's side unfortunately so someone's got to put the money up so that tournament was canceled there were a lot more cases at the time nova scotia was a place where there hockey canada said it there was no reason to have a backup because literally the day before the tournament got canceled there was no outbreak but the next morning numbers came in and there's an outbreak and before they the next day would have been tough for them to cancel or even a day after because the, the day they canceled which i believe is wednesday all the teams are supposed to show up on thursday and you can't all of a sudden cancel it that morning that becomes a challenge especially for the european teams. so there was it, it was it was a tough situation to to be in but i don't think there was a better option because nova scotia they're a smaller place uh i think at the time we were talking like they were like nine or ten new cases but that was a big spike over there compared to what you see in ontario where it's completely shut down as it is so um it, any big spike uh spike increase in which we've seen the last few days they continue to get more they're in a bigger lockdown it was going to happen regardless it's just a shame it happened to that tournament if if the tournament was in the states to begin with if it was in Texas, that's fine. But at the same time, we got to remember that the, the tournament in Texas did move. It wasn't like that was always planned to be there. So they had to make concessions to make that happen. It was supposed to be in Michigan. It moved and that way it is what it is. But you look at one tournament in Latvia where they don't have the same issue. The other tournaments in Texas where the rules have always been a little bit more lax in terms of COVID. So it's just kind of poor timing. It sucks. And I don't think anyone wanted it to be the case. But the day they announced it, they found out that morning it was not happening. And it wasn't Hockey Canada's call, and it definitely wasn't the WHF's call. That's that's the one thing that I, I mean, there were a lot of people, and of course there were the people that came out and say, well, of course that women's game got, the the very simple-minded folks, Stephen, that said, of course women's got can, because why would anyone want to watch women's hockey? I'm like, listen here, Grandpa, sit off to the side. Because that may have been the best of, no, I mean, no offense to the kids down here in Texas, to all the guys that are playing over in Latvia, there was a lot going into that women's hockey tournament. I mean, U.S. was going on to, to extend their streak of gold medals in that tournament. Canada, despite having, you know, the pro women's hockey players only playing for so many, the Players Association only playing so many games, if any, they were going to come out and try to put in a good effort. But then you had the players from overseas, the Swedes, the Finns, that had hardly been playing a whole season, and they were going to be fresh and ready. It was going to be a wide-open tournament for the most part, Stephen. This would have been the year where, yeah, there may have been the most competition we've seen in a lot of it just because there's so many unknowns. Um, unlike where in what we've seen in North America, a lot of those guys were going over to play Europe instead of playing in junior leagues or whatever. And there was those options. You don't get that in women's hockey, but there were the European leagues that were running 
full bore. We don't get that in North America. So it would have been an interesting situation. Obviously, the NWHL, not a lot of those players would have been in the Olympic or in this World Championship tournament for Canon USA, but those players that are playing in the Dream Gap Tour, they've had events canceled. It's been kind of a rough time overall. So it would have been a good tournament. And yeah, like obviously it doesn't look good. And the Hockey Canada says, yeah, op like optics-wise, it definitely doesn't look good when the one event getting canceled is the women's tournament, given the last year was canceled too. Um, but it's just, again, if this tournament's somewhere else, I think we're talking a different story. It's, it's a tough situation. I feel horrible for the players. But at the same time, it would have been even bigger out uh, hoopla if they canceled a week before which gave them more time for the players. If, if they moved a week before, it'd be like, well, we're looking at like two to three positive or two to three new cases a day. Why would we cancel a tournament because of that? And then if you cancel later, then the teams have already traveled over. They now have to quarantine before they can go home. It just wasn't simple to move this event. It was just not simple to do anything else. It just sucks. It, it hurts. It was going to be a lot of fun. I was looking forward to it. And now we're hoping that this tournament does happen in the summer. There are rumors of it happening in different places, potentially Florida, Texas. Um, but at the same time, it's just um, you couldn't just bolt this to the end of where the, the other tournament was, because the under-18s, because there's a lot of travel you'd have to change, a lot of different quarantine rules, um, different costs of, uh, behind it. You also got to make sure you can retain all the employees and all the, the volunteers that are involved there. It's just not so simple. So uh, there were people that were like tweeting at USA Hockey when they were uh, tweeting the, the U18 game yesterday and saying like, why are you tweeting about this? It's so tone deaf. I don't think, like, I think it's a little yeah. uh, ridiculous given it's, it's like, you know what? Again, well, it, it, the only per, comp, the only group that said we have to end this was a government agency. That's that's a little different than a hockey pro or hockey company because of all the work that goes into it, they don't want to cancel it. Right. They were forced to. Yeah, that's that's I think the big thing that people realize, and that's why I think eventually it kind of came to, and then you saw the players start to come out from U.S. and Canada say this should happen. Still, do you? Is it? Do you have any idea when that tournament would be, or is there a guesstimation? Because obviously it was supposed to start May fourth, right? May fourth. Yeah. Yeah. So, so May four, uh, May May sixth, I believe. It was supposed to be the same day as the gold medal games for the uh, the U eighteens. Right. Okay. So. so it, um, yeah, it, it, was, it was that the, the date that has been thrown around a bit is August 22nd as a potential day as to where that could be. Uh, obviously, you know, Texas will want to be the one of the, the groups involved given they are hosting a tournament right now. And as they continue to try to be uh, a, a place that's big for hockey, this would be a good opportunity for them to get the event. It doesn't look like we're going to see this in Canada regardless. It will, should be in the United States. And if you look at Texas and Florida, the two that are mentioned a lot uh, in, in the rumor mill, and those are the ones where they've got a little more lax uh, COVID regulations, so they could easily put those both on. Um, but again, you got to be really careful on all this. This is still we're still in a global pandemic. Um, August, the hope is that pretty much most of the people involved in the tournament will be vaccinated. Um, but obviously, you've got a lot of Canadians who are still waiting in in various places. I don't know when I'm going to get my own vaccine, for example. So uh, I'm, I'm the only one in my family without one at this point. Uh, so there's, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be a tough one. But it does look like we're going to be looking at August. The thing to keep in mind is in mid-September, around September 15th, is when the centralization begins for some of these programs, specifically Hockey Canada. That They want this done before that because that's what's so important. they got to start focusing on that, and they got to put their full plan together for that. So that'll be interesting to see if it happens at the end of August. Because then, of course, Stephen, it's an Olympic year. You don't want to go too late because all of a sudden you're going to the World Championships because in women's hockey, the Olympic gold medal, the Olympics are their world championships that year for that 2021 yes. or 2022. 
So you're going to be going literally from world championships. If you don't go any, you know, if you go later than August for some reason, you're going literally from back-to-back world championships. We mentioned with the Indy 500 going from fans and a few months later to fans, same thing with the Masters. Now all of a sudden we're going, it's the same thing with this hockey tournament. Maybe a few more teams added, of course, compared to the world championships. But regardless, there it's it's going to be that similar concept. That's why they almost have to do it by August. And you also do have to be concerned about there's been rumors and some reports that, you know, what if the major countries boycott the 2022 Olympics and not specifically just the hockey teams? Like we're talking like Canada, the United States all together based off of going to China, which obviously there's a lot of things going on there. So um, that is something to keep in mind on, too. I was always wondering is would there be I, I know there's never been the world championships in the same year as the Olympics, but given that there's a chance that we could see it not in 2020, not in 2021 and not 2022 we also forgot like in 2018 they didn't have it so that would mean between 2019 and 2022 would be happen one time i do wonder if they would put a second tournament you never know like i make the world championship happen i that is something i know has been rumored i don't think we'll see that but i would be interested to see if that happens especially if there is a true threat of the world champion or the olympics do not happen and then the, the teams don't go to china then you gotta think okay would this actually happen and it's not like if they decide in january to not go into the tournament or to the olympics and it's not happening it's not like they would have time to get ready for may that is not a big enough window to prepare for a tournament that size so yes. it's tough now, this is kind of just the wild open, wide-eyed Tyler kind of thinking here. If the, You mentioned how if the tournament, the women's tournament, moves into Texas or Florida, it would become a USA hockey tournament. Is there any way for the tournament to move into the states, maybe not down south, maybe to like Buffalo, where there is a growing a Canadian fan base field because it's so close to the border? Would there be a possibility or any way that it could be a Hockey Canada tournament while in a nearby area in the United States. I don't think so. And I also don't think, uh, I think Hockey Canada in that case would rather just give the tournament up for this year and then get it maybe back in Halifax for the next year. I don't know if there's a twenty or a 2023 plan yet. Um, so that would maybe give them a chance to get full fans the year after the Olympics. And you can use that as promotions, like see the players up at the Olympics a year ago, now they're back and it'd be the first world championship in years so they might be able to get a bit of hype into that so i think in this case hockey canada would just rather give it off and uh, i usa hockey you, if you're holding this at the end of august maybe you're seeing fans depending on where it is but i don't think we'll see it in uh, the hockey canada because there's no value to them if they can't get fans there yeah I mean, it would have to be in texas because in michigan i was doing the acha division three nationals and we were literally one phone call away two days before the tournament that we were like, we were going to possibly be canceled. Like we're sitting there. I'm like, are we actually going to play on Thursday? Yes, we are. Thank goodness. I know there's some, I mean, there's a reason why we had tournaments in North Dakota because there's also mm-hmm. lackadaisical rules out there with COVID. So it all remains to be foreseen. Hopefully we have this tournament because I was excited for it. I know a lot of people out there were because this tournament, I think, I don't say it needs to happen, but it, it should happen. And I'm pretty sure you can agree with that too, Steven. Yeah, no, I, I, I want it to happen. I want everyone involved to be able to experience this. Having a chance to play for your country is something that you never take granted for granted. You never know if you're ever going to get it again. You want to be there. So for women's hockey, it's been dealt so many blows after blow after blow ever since the CWHL shut down. For everyone's sake, I do hope we get to see this. But again, there's just it's not as simple as just picking a new date, picking a new location. It's a much bigger challenge than that. 
So let's hope it happens. But let's get to one of the tournaments that is going to happen, the U18s. Big tournament. This is pretty much, for a lot of these kids, an opportunity to really bump up their draft status. And for a few kids, as we'll mention here, a couple 16-year-olds and even a 15-year-old, an opportunity to show people that they can hang with some of the best in the world that are not even in their age group. We'll start in group, we'll say group B, but the way it's all being treated here in Texas, it's the A team, the A group. They're getting the big rink there at Comerica Center over in Frisco. That's the pool that sees U.S., Russia, Finland, and the Czechs and Germany. And Germany, Stephen, you, you and I kind of discussed it. There's a lot of unknowns with this team. We don't really know what to expect out of them coming into this tournament. Yeah, this is a team where I'm not like we, we knew in the past when you look at the um, the talent of uh, the guys like Stutzel and and Paterka and guys like that, uh, Reichel. Those were really solid teams coming up. For Germany, I don't think like if we were being fully honest with ourselves, I think a team like. Uh, Slovakia would have been a better team for this year. Obviously, it's not how that works because of the um, the the tournament being canceled last year. So this is not a group that I'm totally thrilled about. There's a couple guys that uh, the the one a lot of people have kind of mentioned uh, as someone to keep an eye on is actually I'm trying to figure his name out. Uh, Robin Van Kalster, uh, a centerman who's a guy that is a pretty good skater, uh, good shot, and. Um, I uh, played some pretty good games in the German U20 league. Um, but overall, this is just not a group I'm totally just thrilled about. And there's not a lot of highlights to it. I don't think there's anyone who's going to really take this team far. And uh, we're looking kind of at a last place position here. And it's really tough, too, because, the, I mean, the Czechs will be a competitive team. But when you're going up against the United States and Russia and Finland, and I and I that's why I look at this as maybe the A group because it's the toughest group in this in this tournament so far. Yeah, but being able to win this group can be tough. Um, and for, for it, again, it's kind of just all about survival. Uh, the way it's looking for for Germany, it's a strong group, and you got USA, Russia, Finland as the big three. Uh, and even the Czech Republic aren't necessarily slouches here either. Um, I still think there's a. Uh, I would love to say there like two days ago there was a clear number one of who this group B top team is i don't think there is necessarily anymore but um yeah it's this is one where it's probably going to have some more competitive hockey especially when you look at like canada's got to play latvia belarus and switzerland and then none of those teams really have a chance so uh it'd be interesting to see how this one kind of really plays out germany can be a rough one you know i i my family i got german in my blood and so i'm like ah maybe they win one so trust me i was i was cheering for germany in 2018 over in pyeongchang I don't think they'll have the same kind of luck here in this tournament. But let's look at the Czechs, though. I mean, they're probably their top guy, according to the Hockey News previous draft ranking, Stanislav Svozil. Holy moly. It's going to be a long (laughs) tournament for me if I can't say these guys' names right. 35th in the THN rankings, a really good defensive place for Komota Berno over there in the Czech Republic. You know, you mentioned how they they have some – you know, some depth, some age, but also a couple of younger guys as well. David Spacek, uh, Jakob Sadivi, the captain of this Czech Republic team. What makes this team a team that could possibly stand out? Well, this team has played a lot together, um, which is nice. They played a lot of games against Slovakia. So um, this is a group where um, yeah, there's nothing 
too incredible on though. They got a really good defenseman in Stanislav Svolzo. Will if, if this team steals a couple of games, we could be talking as one of the top defensemen overall in this tournament. In a tournament that it's got a pretty good defensive uh, side to it. Um, so uh, overall, actually, I'd say their, their blue line is pretty solid. They 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 should they did a really good job of shutting down Slovakia in a couple of those games. And now, meanwhile, Slovakia is not in this tournament, but I would say Slovakia's got the better talent. Uh, so they ha- it was like they actually had some solid teams to play with. Uh, they also have one of the best names in the tournament, Marcel Marcel. I was uh, just about to, to say his name too. Like, that's the not best. To be confused with, not to be confused with Ivan Ivan in the past, okay. uh, which 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 if you look at that, it's like, man, the Czech Republic, you know, like, our name's expensive over there. Um, so uh, I would like to see what their goalie situation is going to be. I know uh, two names that people are really excited about are uh, Thomas Sushanik, uh, who actually has played uh, a lot of games in the Czech U20 league or Czech, Czech second league. It looks pretty good. Uh, and then the other one actually being Patrick Hermela, which uh, talking to um, uh, Ryan Kennedy, I should know, I work with him. Uh, he was the guy that he actually pinpointed as the guy that he really wanted to watch. So Czech Republic, I always say watch their goaltending. That's never the reason why the team loses and often will be one of the biggest strengths. And I think that's the case for them. I don't think the Czechs have like the number one guy that's going to be able to take this team far offensively, but they play well enough in their own zone where they might be able to grind out a win against Finland, but it's still going to be tough one. Yeah, they, the Czechs, for some reason, whether it be Mrazic or Vokun before that or Hashi before that, they always seem to pull out a really good goaltender every so often. It just changes the game for a while, or at least especially in certain tournaments. And it's funny because then they go to be household names in the NHL right after. I mean, it's funny how that works. Yeah. It, it, the one, like Daniel Vladar, well, we'll obviously see him in Boston, yep. and he's kind of fallen out of favor in terms of their, their future number one situation there. But he was one where you, you could t- tell there was something really good about him for a long time. Another one being Nick Malik, who I, uh, a year ago was we were talking about potentially, well, I should say, heading into the last draft class, he was maybe a first-round talent and he didn't even get drafted in the end. So the Czech Republic will get these guys who will play really well in international tournaments. Some will go out to be pretty good, and the Czechs have developed at least one good goalie every five to 10 years where their international team is, is can, if they get that goalie, will look pretty solid. Um, I don't know if we're gonna get that this year's Czech team, but I think that they're definitely not the weaker group or weaker def, uh, goaltending situation here. So we'll see how that goes. And a country that seems to pull out a lot of good goaltenders, whether it be just the way they've adopted their goaltending method, how they train goaltenders, like guys like Rask, Rene, so many before that. Of course, Kiprasov and Kari Lettinen was good for a few years. Finland, they are looking, people are predicting them to finish third in this group, possibly. They have a couple of really good players, most notably Samu Tumala uh, plays over in Karpat for Liga. But there's a couple other guys as well that also play in that league as well. Brad Lambert as well. He steps up there. A couple of good defensemen that play in the top league there in Finland. This is a, a very unique group. A lot of guys that play in the under-20 league over there. But like I said, a couple guys that have played and have had experience playing against the top in that Finnish top league. Yeah, that's the thing that's nice about Finland is you get those guys who will play in the top league. And, and I, I don't necessarily take their stats too much into consideration because a lot of these guys will play sometimes under five minutes a game. But yeah. for defensemen, I think that you're getting thrown to the wolves in a better in a way that's um, it's really tough, especially when you look at like we're, we're still talking about, well, a lot of these Finnish teams will have seven, eight defensemen in the lineup in a single game. Um, they're, they're still having there's not as many lineup spots there. So if you're there, like you've 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 got to play well because it's a tough 
uh, thing to crack. But Brad Lambert's going to be the guy everyone's going to watch. He's part of the, the big uh, three-headed monster for the 2022 draft, being Shane Wright, who played for Team Canada, Max Savoy, who will not be there for Canada, and then Brad Lambert, who is part Canadian, but he's mostly Finnish, so that's that's why his name is the way it is. And uh, it, it's, it's a pretty funny simple name. That's not Finnish at all. I know when you look at the guys he's playing with, like uh, Vili Kuivinen and Miko Mataka, and then Brad Lambert. Wait a minute, uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense. That yeah, no, the right, he, that's the wrong roster. Yeah, it almost looks wrong, but he's kind of like uh, the best way I could explain Brad Lambert is if you like Nathan McKinnon, you like Brad Lambert, and Nathan McKinnon's pretty darn good hockey player. So oh, I've never, uh, never heard of him. Lambert, I would argue, if he was available for the 2021 draft and go first overall and he's a, and he's younger than everybody else so it's nice we get to see him there it feels like he's been on the radar for a while but he's only 17 years old and uh but he's only 2003 so he's not like that super young that we, that we usually see in this tournament and actually this is the only year he can play in the tournament um but he, he's just such a just a he dominates the puck control when he gets it and that's what makes him um, so fun to watch. Finland just finds a way to grind out games, though. Uh, Finland's also played so, some games together as a group. Some of these guys have played the U20 team already. So they'll grind away wins. They don't necessarily need to be winning each game 4 or 5 nothing. They'll win a game 2 nothing, and they'll look like the significantly better team. That's just kind of their style, no matter what tournament they play in. The craziest thing, because uh, I've obviously done a lot of research on my group, is a lot of these international teams, these kids play together a lot in the U16 levels up through the ranks. So even when they go off and play for different club teams, play in Liga or U20 or even, you know, in the Swedish Elite League or the uh, Alsvenkan League, they all somehow play international tournaments together. So it's not like this is their first rodeo together. And similar to Canada as well, but you see it more, Stephen, overseas in Europe, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, absolutely. So, like Canada, like they, they do play in the U17 World Challenge, and that's the first time all these guys will play together. But they split the talent up into three teams. So, yeah. uh, it, it's kind of watered down. You good guys will never play Hockey Canada system ever again that are playing key minutes. And that's just kind of how that works. But, like the U16 level in like Canada being like minor midget, or now it's just called U16. Um, and, and those guys are all playing in different leagues, and it's so spread out. So, they don't really get that opportunity while you look at these guys playing Europe, and some of them are signed to, to pro level or pro development contracts at a young age and are already playing in the systems by the time they go play in this U16 level. And usually we're talking like 14 tournaments and there aren't a lot of them all together. But a lot of these guys on Russia, Sweden, Finland, Czech Republic, uh, even Switzerland, they'll, they'll play together a lot and that helps. And the US national development team, obviously they stay together for two years and they're the ones playing at these tournaments. Um, Latvia, kind of the same thing when they're on the top level, they've got essentially their Riga program. So uh, things like that, it's kind of nice that they can stay together. Canada doesn't have a similar thing. I've been kind of asking, through through scouts and stuff like that way if they would like to see an idea like that in canada a lot of them will say yes um it's just how how can you do it in a way where a it doesn't step on hockey canada's toes if they're not doing it themselves and if they do how do they not piss off all the member clubs by stealing all the talent away which in, in large takes away the some fan support so it's kind of a tough situation but it's something i would love hockey canada to do in the future it would also take and we'll get to a little bit with canada later on but it would also take a lot of the younger kids away from the ohls the whls and the qmjhls so you will i mean if that were the case if there was a canadian national development team shane wright would not be playing for kingston connor bedard probably wouldn't be playing for regina and so on and so forth right 
Yeah, and that, that's part of the problem. When when you look at the the, the big thing with the uh, the AHL not being allowed to take these junior prospects away in a normal year, um, is you, you bring if Quinton Byfield is not in Sudbury and Sudbury is struggling, it's not as big of a tendency. If you have Quinton Byfield there, they're playing well, and then they go into uh, like Mississauga which never gets a good attendance, all of a sudden people are flocking to Mississauga when Quinton Byfield and Sudbury show up to town, and that helps to that, that uh, in a big way. So having those star players there is important. My my solution to that was um, you make it only the U16 and U17 levels, and you play them against junior A teams and see how that works. You go send them to BCHL, the AJHL, which obviously right now the, the BCHL is not part of Hockey Canada anymore, but if you were right. in theory to send against those teams and you, you, you get these guys playing until the competition at a young age, and then you th- either like you, you put them back in major junior or not for the final year, I think you would get a really good talented group and potential for an extra year or two for guys who are more fringe players to get a chance to play. But there's no perfect system. USA Hockey, the way they do it, um, definitely there's a lot of politics involved. There's a lot of people who don't love it the way it is, uh, the way it's been done. But the simple fact is, it's always a competitive program, and they're clearly doing something right. Now, if they could translate that into success in the men's world championship, that'd be interesting because it seems like they care so much about the junior levels, they get the men's championship, and they forget that exists, and they are sending like a C-tier team, and then nothing ever works in their favor. Well. I mean, th- this year it's going to be tough without NHLers going there. But I will t- I'll say this. If you're going to make, like, a U16 and play, like, the Junior A team, set them up to play the Noge teams up in the Northern Ontario Junior Hockey League. Where scores, sure. are, scores are 10-9, 9-8 every other night. Um, going back over here to Group B, Russia is a team. We'll get to the Americans here in just a minute, folks. The Russian team is doesn't have the – I don't want to say the glitz and glamour of the draft rankings yet. Central Scouting hasn't put out theirs. The NHL hasn't done theirs yet. But they have a lot of great talent, once again, Stephen. Fyodor yeah, Shvechkov, he's in the top 12. He's 12 in the Hockey News ranks. Nikita Shabrikov is another guy that's up there as well. And I mean, this is pretty much the MHL All-Stars, but that's pretty much what this Russian program is at the U18 level. Yeah, I... I had an NHL scout that basically, because I was on another show, and I said I, I didn't include Russia as one of the teams I was really too excited about. But, man, this team is – I don't know what to think about them. They've got their good players. They've got this Fetchka. they got Chibrikov. they got Yurov. Uh, but I don't – like, it's such a stereotypical Russian team where they've got some offensive guys who I don't know if I love them in their own zone. They've got a pretty average defense core. Their goaltending is a bit of a, of a, I'm not totally sure I'm convinced on that. Russia has found a way to consistently disappoint me in international tournaments when I predict them to do well, and I'm not predicting them to be a top, maybe a third place team, maybe a fourth place team, depending on how kind of like Sweden and, and Canada kind of figure their things out in the, in the round robin. But I just, I'm not totally sure I'm totally convinced about this team. It, it's a skilled team. Uh, fast team. Uh, these guys have played well together. I just there's no guy that uh, Vasily Podkolz are ready to take this team up, and I think that could get, offer some good opportunities. Uh, I'm a big fan of Svechikov. I think he's a very talented player. I think Jabrikov is actually one of the the, the better defensive wingers in this uh, this team. I'm just not sure. I love a guy enough on that team to say he's going to be the guy that takes this team far, and that's my concern. 
I will say this. If you're terrified of the of picking Russia, you must have been on the Askarov train then in the World Juniors, weren't you? <laughs> getting all getting all excited oh. for the righty catching goaltender. I, I've been a fan of his for years. And I the thing about him, it's like you look at the World Juniors and yeah, he didn't play well, but like that was the first I'm not even going to necessarily count his World Juniors the year before because I never thought he should have been the starting goalie to begin with. I didn't think he was the best goalie they had, and they, in the end, he wasn't the starting goalie. Um, but this year's tournament just felt so off. And from talking to players that know him well, even talking to uh, Nikolai Habibulin, who's been his goalie coach for points, just trying to get their opinions on that. And they're like, he just didn't look like he was in the right mindset because this is a guy that usually is so mentally strong. The, the, the comparisons to Care Bryce were so like it's been for years we've been hearing that, and, and there are real reasons for that because he's so mentally strong. It just didn't look like he was playing as good as he could have been. Obviously, and the numbers didn't work out, but I, I still am feeling he's the one of the best goalie prospects we've seen in 15 years. Oh, my buddy Peyton Turn just decided to hear that he's Nashville's problem now. <laughs> no. Uh, but I think the, the big kahuna in this group and probably the big kahuna in this tournament, then again, they are the host, the United States. The U.S. National Development Program, U-17 slash mostly U-18 players. I mean, look at this roster. Luke Hughes, Chaz Lucius, Sean Barron, Sasha Pasajov, Tyler Boucher. I mean, this is a deep team from top to bottom filled with draft-eligible guys and young guys on the U-17 program that are just trying to make their name, are they the favorite to win it again is the question, Stephen. Well, I would have said yes a week ago, but now Chaz Lucius is not going to be playing. Oh, he's not? Team. Oh, And Luke Hughes is actually out for the season. So both of those guys. Darn it, double them, AHF. They gave me the wrong roster. That's what was on my roster. That's why I was like, oh, wow. So Lucius was, that was reported by, uh, I want to say it was Chris Peters like yesterday like late yesterday that he wasn't going to be playing in this tournament. So it was, it was pretty quick. It was pretty quick as to when that happened. So Jeff, you're okay with me. So he he was on the initial roster up until yesterday. Uh, And they also lose Andre Gasso and Jacob Martin. Um, This team, I still think is going to be fantastic. I think that uh, I, I still have them actually playing for gold. I just now no longer have them being the gold favorite for me anymore. And we'll get to that when I get to talk about that team. Um, this is a team that's, uh, when they lost um, Luke Hughes, Sean Barron's really had to show up, play a really good game. Roman Schmidt, a guy from the Don Mills Flyers era that was totally dominant, he started to step up. Uh, Ty Gallagher, I like him, uh, Aiden Heshrug. It's a good defensive group. Obviously, there's, their offense is not a problem for them. Um, the fact that they get the, the 04s, they brought Logan Cooley, um, Merrick Hayduke, um, Isaac Howard's a pretty solid player, but Rooker McRory, I don't know if I've ever seen a prospect as dominant as he was at the U16 level in the United States. I think he had like 82 goals in his minor midget season, which is just outstanding. So uh, this is a team that should be very, very strong. Um, I just don't know if I have them as my number one. And part of that is uh, their goaltending situation. Gibson Homer's been their guy. Uh, I don't love him as a goalie, to be fully honest. I, I don't think... I've watched him against Muskegon a couple times over here. Or over here, once again, I'm in Texas, Tyler. But in, in the USHL games, and I'm just like, he's good, but you can tell he's got talent. But it's like he's he needs more time. I guess is the big thing. If if I had to say how many NHL games I truly believe he'll play, oh I'm going to go on zero. But Bagel. I do think. 
I, 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 will he be good enough for this tournament? That's because that's the important question here. Was he good enough for this tournament? Yes, I think he'll be good. I don't know if he'll be the the, the game saving guy. Uh, at the other hand, he's played a ton of games this year. Something that the team I picked to win this tournament, uh, that's not something that goalies have had this year. So uh, I, I will say that I, he really needs to be pretty solid, and he has a tendency to to go out there and 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 have these big games but he's allowed a lot of goals in the last few games ever since they won nine nothing in in uh, mid late march he's had some rough games kind of along the way so he needs to go out there and steal the games but again we're still talking about a team that plays together all year they've been together for a couple years now and they they always do so well at this tournament so i'm not I really don't have any concerns about them yeah Let's jump over to Group A, and because Stephen mentioned he doesn't have the goal favorite to be the United States. Let's get to his goal favorite, Belarus. That's who is going. All right, favorite. perfect. All right, yeah, easy. Uh, well, well uh, Belarus, okay, you know, I, I was, first of all, when I got ready for this tournament, I forgot that they're still in the top division. For some reason, Belarus, they can't do it at the U20 level. They do it, they sometimes do it in the world, the world Championship level, the top men's level, but they seemingly always consistently are there in the U18 level. Just doesn't make sense to me. But they do have a couple good players, though. Nikita Tarasevich, he's going to go to Michigan State. He was a little Caesars product, actually. He was kind of a a, brought, a player that's been brought up to the American system. But then you also have a guy like Igor Klavdiev, who has played for Cedar Rapids before going back home to Belarus. Uh, Cedar Rapids of the USHL, I should add. And they also have um, Igor Golubev, who is in the St. Pete, uh, St. Pete, SK, St. Petersburg system as well as Ilya Gravilov. So they have a couple of good defenders, a couple of good forwards, but once again, it's a lack of depth that's going to be the Belarusians' problem. I think the one thing that's going to excite them and why I think that might be able to beat a team like Lafayette and maybe Switzerland is because I think they got the best goalie of those three teams. That's Ivan Zhigalov, a goalie that a lot of scouts are really a fan of. There's a lot of similarities between him and Jesper Wolstad, who is the top goalie for the NHL draft this year, obviously in a little less scale, he's playing in Belarus as opposed to yeah. playing men's in Sweden. But um, I, I think that he's a guy that he's got really good size. He moves so well, so relaxed, really calm. Um, and some scouts that I've talked to love the guy. Others have never heard of him, which, you know, it would, when you're that split, it's either he's good or... It's either he's good or you don't know who he is. That's always interesting. Uh, Shakar Polshkov uh, was a top scorer of the U18 team. A good playmaker, skates well. Um, no real draft type, pretty small. Easy to take your, the puck off of, but when he's got gets moving, he's got the speed, he's got the shot. Um, uh, Miroslav Miklov, uh, someone who I think has got some good talent, uh, and Dimitri Kruzman, the defenseman. So not a great team, but... They, they might be able to hang with some of the underdogs there. It could be fun to watch. You mentioned the team that they may be able to beat, which is usually a team that's usually the team that may beat the Russians or may beat the Finns. That's Switzerland. And Switzerland, they have a couple of guys. I mean, this is another type of scenario where a lot of these guys play together. A lot of guys that play in the under-20 league. Um, you have Lorenzo Kanakoa. Kanakoa? I think it's Kanakoa. I hope I said that right. Gosh, I should have looked these up before. I'll look them up before I do games tomorrow. God, I probably should. I want to be like John Butchergrosser in the national championships. I didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> Lorenzo Catico, um plays for Shawinigan in the Quebec League, left the team before so he can come do the tournament because obviously we'll get to Canada. Quebec's not letting their players go because they want to have a playoff. Isn't that going to be great, Stephen? Um, Attila Biasca is another one, plays in Halifax. So maybe not as good of a team as they've had in the past in terms of high-end talent, but they have some certainly some good players. Well, Nana McKenna Nika is kind of a disappointment, and I, I 
believe it's just it's because he's putting the QMJHL and they've not adding a lot of players as it is, um, which is a huge loss because I think that guy would have been the big difference maker. They would he would have been like the Nico Hiche of this team. Um, but the this will be a team that kind of in typical Swiss fashion. How are you guys going to score? I would be truly curious about that. Uh, I like Biasca a lot. I think he's a pretty solid prospect and does uh, deserve his NHL hype. Um, as opposed to the defensemen, very small defensive group. There's a couple five foot seven guys on this team. Oh, yeah. So, but 45 it's like, kids, yeah. Fabio Mira yeah, is one of them. I don't know what is a Swiss. It's just like they, like, I think their average height has to be below six foot. They're not a big team at all. No. And who their goaltending is going to be. I, from talking to some Swiss scouts, I don't think anyone's confident in any of the options they have. Um, so this is going to be a bit of a tough one. But, uh, you know, a lot of these guys have played together in previous international tournaments, and you can never fully discount that. Um, are they... I, I still think that they got a good shot at third place just because the talent level in the Swiss junior leagues, I would say, is better than Latvia. But um, it's still going to be a bit of a grind for them. And I, I would not be totally thrilled about any of their, their options. Uh, the one thing I'll say is though, is they are a fast team. And while they don't have a couple, they, they don't have a lot of big stars in this team. I think they might have some solid depth here. And that's something I'd say like, they, they got guys who, who the, the speed's gonna really help here. And I think that'll be interesting to see how they kind of find their goals. But there's a lot of opportunities for guys to really shine because uh, this is not a really super strong year for Swiss prospects. Um, so there's going to be some guys that are going to try to fight to get some attention. You know, it's really funny because you talk about maybe the lack of talent in Switzerland. Here is my spot chart for Sweden. I'll put them right up here. Here's the front side. You guys can see it. Cole Page and a couple up top on the back. Switzerland is bringing an army. Here's the front page. And then the entire back page has players. They're bringing 38 guys. They've got to have someone that's got to score, right? You hope so. Jeez. <laughs> Oh, man, I saw. I really saw that. And it was the last team I did prep for. I'm like, there's just nothing going on. I'm like, and there's and there's some players that stand out, but it's a lot of the same guys. They all play U16s, have decent numbers with the international team. Let's get a Trey Conair though. We'll jump to Latvia in between Canada here. Trey Conair here. They have just it's, it's another great team, and it's looking like a Sweden Canada top two in this pool. I mean, Simon Edvinson and William Eklund, Fabian Lysel, Simon Robertson, William Stromgren. Um, and these are guys that are playing in the top league over there. Obviously, Stromgren Moto is playing in Alsvenska, but the top pools of Swedish hockey, these guys are playing in it, and that's what makes them just that much better than other teams in their group because they're playing against guys that are men, guys that have played in the NHL and stuff like that. So this is a Swedish team that uh, that's played recently against the U19 team, look quite solid. Uh, big fan of Fabian Lysel. I think he's going to be a fantastic prospect. Um, he's a lot of people will. I've seen a few tweets where people are like you're sleeping on him. You got to be talking about him more if you're a pro fan of prospects. But I think he's almost going to get overrated because of that. Um, Robertson's a very good winger, very talented two-way player. Uh, Dorwin Nilsson's been. I feel like we've been talking about him for years, but it's just. Because in Sweden, you just you play internationally at a couple different levels. So you start to hear the names. Um, the guy, obviously, a lot of people are really excited for is Simon Edmondson. The defenseman is going to be really good. Actually, I'd say this whole team defensively is just, this is another team that's like, yeah, this is a typical Sweden team. Um, you know, you don't, you got some really good wingers. Um, the centers can hold their own. Defensively, you're going to be really happy with the team. 
not sure the goaltending side of things are, are going to be the same. Lindblom is one that I know a lot of scouts are, are definitely talking about. Um, but this is a group that's going to speed's kind of the name of their game. I'd say way more fact than Switzerland because Sweden's just a better team overall. Yeah. Um, and, and the wingers, there's just not a lot of weak points on this team. So uh, it's a group that when playing the U19 team, Uppsala, I'm, I'm a fan of this team. They, but uh, there's a reason you put Latvia as the team to talk about afterwards because you, you think they're going to be number one. They are totally going to be number one with guys, names. Like, there were there were a couple names that were in there that I literally said, I'm like, all right, these are literally guys that if you sim through a dynasty mode or a <laughs> be a GM mode for five years, all of a sudden they show up on your roster. Like, and, I, and this is nothing against Latvia. Listen, Latvia is a, a hockey country. They love hockey there. People, I think that some people don't quite realize, oh, because they don't win gold medals, it means they must suck and they don't care about hockey. They do. They're just not as good as their surrounding neighbors like Russia and Sweden and Germany. So, but I mean, what do we want to, what are we supposed to expect out of this team? I mean, you have a couple guys that have played some higher levels. A lot of guys, I mean, this is half this team plays for uh, for the Riga, for Riga Latvia's team in their top league over there. I mean, what are we expecting on the Latvians in this tournament? Good conditioning because they've been playing against older and stronger competition. So I think that's good. Uh, they, I believe they beat Germany 5-1 in an exhibition game, uh, which uh, yesterday, which a good sign on that part of uh, the team there. Uh, I think I've kind of just the way they played in that game just kind of really started to get me a bit more excited because I was kind of on the fence of this team's just bleh. But uh, this is one where... Uh, their, their goaltending will be interesting to see kind of who really emerges as their, as their key guy. Um, I Gustav Oselins, uh, someone I think I'm more of a fan of than a lot of guys are. He's not a big defenseman by any means, but he was, I believe, the top U25 or U20 scorer in the Latvian men's league this year, and he's a defenseman, so not too bad. Um, the Daryl Sturkers, strong kid, uh, good season in the Swiss U20 league, um, played some exhibition games with the U18 team last year, didn't look out of place as a younger guy there. Um, and Martin Slavins is probably the team's top centerman there, uh, very good U18 team a year ago. Um, so they've got players, they are humans, they exist. I, I'm just, it's not really competition when you get Canada and, and, in Sweden in the group, could they go out there and beat Switzerland? What? Maybe. I don't think so. Um, but they, they, they're really going to have to grind their way in. Um, it'll be just obviously deciding if they're going to make the, the, the quarterfinals. They'll have to worry about uh, uh, about Belarus in that situation there and Switzerland. But uh, Latvia is just a team I'm not too excited about. It's just, it's, it's Latvia. By the way, that's the big matchup this week. Not Canada versus Sweden, not Switzerland versus Canada. No, folks. Latvia, Belarus, that'll be the 8 o'clock local time game on Thursday night, seven or 9 o'clock Eastern time. That's the big game of pool play. Stephen, don't really tell me any different. Well, who, who else is playing at that exact same time in the other um, I don't. I only got the A pool. I guarantee you it's probably like the United States probably playing Russia. Who <laughs> Probably that's how it would be. I haven't... I don't have the full schedule right in front of me. Um, I'm trying to bring it up myself. Uh, USA and Czech Republic. <laughs> oh, so a possibly, hey, I'll say two competitive games at the same time, possibly. With very different meanings. I yes, think. very different meanings. One One's trying to, to cement first place in the group, and the other is trying to not be last. <laughs> no, the other not trying to get relegated. And let's go to the last team here, Steven. This was obviously just complete by chance that this team was put last here on the show today. Team Canada. I, 
what do you want to know about this team? You have Brandt Clark, probably <laughs> the best player to come out of the Ontario Hockey League. Mason McTavish, who plays for Peterborough, but he's been making some hay overseas. Uh, Dylan Gunther, Cole Sillinger, Carson Lambos. Cole Sillinger, who was messing around in the USHL, making those kids look bad this year with Sioux Falls. Brandon Othman, who played overseas. He was with Flint. Uh, Carson Kuhlmans and Francisco, Francisco Pinelli. But we got to, of course, mention the elephants in the room. The two probably best players on this team, 15-year-old Connor Bedard and 16-year-old Shane Wright, rookies of the year in their respective leagues. I know it's not official yet for Connor Bedard, but let's be honest here. He's going to get the WHL Rookie of the Year. This team is stacked. Now, the last I heard, because Sillinger didn't play yesterday. Sounds like there might be a situation why a COVID situation from oh, okay. another so one. It uh, would be a, such a shame if that's the case. Of course, here we are in twenty twenty one. Yay! Um, but yeah, this team sucks. No, uh, this team is, is awful. Uh, They're gonna lose to Belarus and Latvia. They crushed Finland for a reason. You look at that line of Shane Wright and Brennan Ottman, and I'm so glad just as a fan of the game of hockey, being able to see those guys play together, together again. I wrote a story for the Hockey News on Friday. If you didn't follow them with the Don Mills Flyers, that team did not lose a game. They won 77 games. They lost or the sessions they lose the game regulation, lost one overtime game, and they had six ties. That team was outstanding, one of the best minor midget teams you've ever seen. And they had to do it after losing their goalie to a vicious murder. It was a very oh, sad yeah. situation. Yep. And this team rallied around. Shane Wright and Brennan Ahmed almost combined for 300 points that season, with Brant Clark getting like 113 himself on the point. So to see Clark being able to pass to Wright and Ahmed again is going to be special. Uh, it's so cool to see that. Uh, Dylan Gunther's obviously a very good player. Started off really hot. Uh, went to the, the, the went to the WHL over a point or two points per game, I believe. Uh, Chase Stillman, I think, is a really good winger that does get a lot of attention. Brett Harrison, very same thing. Um, if your fourth line is what we're looking at potentially of Connor Roulette, Danny Jokin, and Ryan Warrington, whoa, that is some pretty good depth there. Russian born Danny Jokin, by the way, Moscow born Danny Jokin. Yes, so he did choose the team Canada route. I, I made a bold prediction on the Hockey News podcast that Francesco Pinelli is going to be the top scorer on the team, mostly because I just really like that third line. If you got Stankovins on your third line, too. Like yes, because Connor Bedard's going to be an afterthought. Right. Totally. I, that's the thing. It's like like there's a lot of players on the team could be really big. And, and if, like usually I always caution people to get too excited about these young guys playing here like Shane Wright I did not think had a chance of making that final world junior team for Canada he didn't he was there for the experience I think he and Bedard will both be there next year um, but Bedard it's like I'm fully confident this guy is going to do so much for this team and if, if he's not if he's not your top line player and you got Pinelli in your third line and you got Stankin on your third line that's depth my question is who is going to be the goalie when we're set, all said and done here? Goudreau looks like the guy that has the best potential, but Tyler Brennan was playing out of his mind before this, the before the tournament began. So I don't know who's going to be the number one guy there. I wrote in my preview. I do think Goudreau will maybe on a short leash, but give him the chance to prove himself. But this this team is just going to be really hard to beat. It, it's so deep and so talented, and it was two hundred ninety six points between. Um, as you mentioned, with Shane Wright and oh gosh, I hit it with uh, Othman right there. Yep, and just it, that team was incredible. And, the, and I'm going to mention this during the broadcast this week. I and I'm going to say it. I and Cody Jansen of World Hockey Report did not believe Connor Bedard was going to do anything. We thought that because the WHL 
is arguably the toughest of the three leagues to play in for any rookie, let alone a 15-year-old kid. Not like Connor Bedard standing head and shoulders above everybody. He's, you know, a, he's not the biggest guy. He's standing only at, oh gosh, he's only 5'10", a buck 57. We thought he's going to get tossed around like it's Spike Dudley against Brock Lesnar. I mean, this is going to be no... But then he comes out and just starts racking up points. We're like, okay, we were wrong. And I'm, a, I'm okay with saying that because he's so good and so talented. Yeah, it's he's he's a special player for a reason. That like the age eleven, we're talking about this kid. He's that good of a player, uh, just so dominant in the puck. The, the one thing that was explained to me at a in a skills camp that I like, I got to watch where Shane Wright and Conrad are, are the are two of the star players in this program. One of the coaches said, "If Shane Wright is Sidney Crosby, Connor Bedard is Connor McDavid." <laughs> That's that's a lot of pressure put on these kids. These kids don't care about the pressure. I will share a funny story that uh, Bedard actually shared with Ken Campbell of the Hockey News. He, when we were talking with him a couple of weeks ago, and we, and Ken asked, so it's like, what were your like making the U18 team? What are your thoughts? He's like, well, like the day before the tournament, or before I found out I made the team, I had no idea what the U18 t- championship was. He had never heard of it. <laughs> what? Yeah, he had no idea what the U18 World Championship was until like the day before he got announced for the team. Does he know like how to explain like, hey, you're probably gonna make this team? Does he know the there's a World Junior Championships? Does he know that there's a World? He does. Okay, but like, I I was shocked to hear that. But you know, this is considering how like how good of a player this is. Like, you would think someone would be telling him about it. But should you uh, tell him that he's gonna be part of the U17 Challenge next year? (laughs) Should we tell him tell him that? Hey, dude, you can play in the U18s again. You're like, you're that good of a player. So uh, th- that part was pretty funny, but uh, just just a pure talent. Uh, so much to, to love about his game. Uh, and again, like I, I've always been hesitant to get really excited about these younger guys at these tournaments. We saw what Connor McDavid was able to do in 2013 when Canada won gold. This is Canada's best chance of winning gold since that tournament. And, and they don't even need the QMJHL players. That's just how good of a group this is. So I'm excited about it. And like, I know I'm Canadian and like I kind of had some down thoughts in the Americans. I think if you put these two teams together, Canada's got the better talent, but this is we're also like for looking the Americans. They got the chemistry. They know how to play with each other. And that really matters in a tournament like this where you've got to spend if you're Canada, you're spending the first few games trying to figure out your lines first, like officially. They only started training a couple of days ago together. There's still a lot of figuring out. USA hockey, they don't have to worry about that. They're ready to go immediately. So uh, I'm looking forward to see uh what happens with both those teams. At least Canada, like we mentioned, Canada probably has the easier pool, despite that game against possibly Belarus. Who knows about that, possibly? Uh, it, it's, it's a tough one. I, I would say I would uh, really make sure you're watching it. Uh, was it what was it? Uh, oh, the World Championship, the men's tournament. It's like Canada and Finland finished, or they, they, they play their last game of the round robin at like 5 in the morning Eastern oh. time. And it's like... Okay, for first off, if you're in Western Canada, you're definitely not watching the game. But it's like that could decide who wins. Well, the no, group. not if you're at the bar late enough. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> like, there's like, not getting up. You're days. going to bed watching that game. Yeah, yeah. If you're like don't have to work that day on a Tuesday or whatever it was, but uh, yeah, that's gonna be a really tough one. But it's uh, it's like man, you think you could move that game to the afternoon, right? Like. You could put the European teams, the full European matches up at that time of the day, but no, or, uh, Latvia gets the, the better time slot because they're hosting the tournament and everything. But uh, yeah, I, uh, this tournament, the U18s are going to be so exciting and Canada, this is a good chance for them to, to go for gold this time. And that's and that's the bummer because TSN does 
great job. Of course, they got the deal with Hockey Canada, and now TSN seemingly going to be getting the rights to CHL next year. So TSN will pretty much have a firm grip on junior hockey. But in the States, like, you never see the world championships unless it's like maybe the final if the U.S. is in on NHL Network. Like, there was one year it was on NBC Sports, but, like, the coverage for this tournament, I mean, and this is not a knock on, on NHL Network or anything like that, but, I mean, it's on Hockey TV, the first round. Um, I know TSN's taking over. Are they doing any coverage for it this year, Stephen, or no? Uh, they're doing all Team Canada games, yep. and that's and then I think just battle round games. Okay, because I know uh, Brian Mudrick, guest of the show, friend of the show, he'll he's done it in the past. I know he had done his last game with the Habs, so I wonder he's probably getting ready for this tournament, possibly, maybe. If, he, if he's doing it, he's one of my favorite in hockey, and I love when he does these tournaments. Oh, dude, Mudrick is, and God bless me, he. We both jinxed the Habs because we both said the Habs were playing well, and then they went on that skid that ended up getting Julian fired. So we both feel bad about that. But I mean, just I, it sucks that he had to miss that time because of the of the Briar and the Scotties because he missed quite a few games calling games with the Habs. But he's one of the, he's one of my favorites too. And with with Cuthbert moving to Sportsnet, him and Gord are probably the two best on TSN. It's weird. Like, I never really put it into perspective, but Gord's main thing during the year is, like, doing Leaf regional games, which I get on TV. And sense. Like, he for, does sense, too. Yeah, yeah, it does sense. But it's like, it's like man, you got to like, utilize this guy more. But I love that he does the international tournaments. And a really good friend of mine, Victor Finley, has been filling in on, on sense games recently, too. And uh, he, he hopes to do one of these tournaments in the future. And I feel like he'll, he'll be someone you'll hear about at the U18s doing commentary. But uh, this is a tournament that uh, you, you want any TV coverage it gets. World Championship for men's, obviously, it's not huge in the United States. And part of that is just the team's never really that great. Um, Jimmy but, Howard, uh, goaltender every year. I, I'm curious, based off of rumors I've heard, like, would they actually legitimately send the U18 team this year? I, you know the what? I mean, they could. Who else you got? I mean, the NHLers can't play. Because they'll even the guys that are out of the tournament, out of the playoff hunt, they're still playing, and it's just you may as well just or give the kids a shot, or maybe any of the college kids that maybe want to skate one more time. Shoot, when you want to see Maddie Beneers and Owen Power in the World Championships. Here's the thing: even if Canada goes and, and ices an actual men's pro team. Two guys I think you will see there, Brant Clark and Shane Wright. Shane Wright just solely to keep getting him into games because it's been a total lost year for him. But Brant Clark, he played well in Slovakia. He's one of the top prospects of the 2021 draft. You want him playing. I would, if they, like, those are situations where I wouldn't be shocked if they send the U18 teams. Is there is there an age min on that tournament? Because I know, like, some people say it's got to be 17 or 18. Is that true? I don't think so. I think so. Um, because like, like because you you'll see guys like Marco Rossi played for Austria the, the, in. Actually, no, good question. Actually, I don't know. Um, I've seen seventeen year olds play, but I've never seen like like thing, Shane Wright go. Yeah, I I think it's six. I think it's whatever it is for the U twenties also apply to the U or for the men's world championships. But I actually I can't be quoted on that. I don't huh. totally. I, we've never had to be in a situation where we're talking Canada and USA having to send junior teams. So that, yeah. that's just my excuse there. That's true. Well, this has been a fun episode. Now, I know not as long as the usual ones, guys, but it's a Sunday. I have to get work done. Steven's got stuff to do. So we'll do another show next Sunday. Maybe just me. Maybe Steven. I don't know. We'll figure out. Figure it out. 
I because unfortunately I'm broadcasting games during our usual time slot Monday night. So, but for now, thank you very much, Stephen, for joining us once again here on the Kula Show. Follow him at Stephen Ellis T H N. Check out all his great work over there for the hockey news. He doesn't just do prospects, guys. He does NHL stuff too. He does everything over there for the hockey news. All the great guys, Ken Campbell and Co. They do a great work over there. Maybe not as much of the print news as it used to be, but it's online. You can get it all the time. You, everyone's got one of these NSA tracking devices. You can go look on it there on the Hockey News. Stephen, thanks again for taking the time, man. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right, guys. And that is it for this one. Check us out one more time. Hashtag TKS at The Kilo Show, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Check out the replay tomorrow if you're unable to watch this entire episode. But that is it. I'm Tyler Kuehl saying goodbye, and we'll see you next time on The Kilo Show.